be reading Deuteronomy 5, verses 1 through 7. I'll go ahead and read it. Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The word of the Lord. All right. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to be with y'all today uh, to share God's word. Uh, like Andrew said, my ministry is with RUF at Queen's University of Charlotte. I'll give you just a really brief update. I have some prayer cards uh, out by where the bulletins are uh, as you go out from here, but we had a really encouraging year of ministry this year. Uh, finally, moving past the crater that COVID was on our campus and to our ministry, and it's encouraging over the course of the year to see the group grow in number, uh, but also more importantly, in a strong sense of community. And a really big part of that was a good group of student leaders that we restarted around. Uh, and through them and through our outreach efforts on campus and uh, the work of our interns, we gathered a really good group of freshmen. Probably one of the best group of freshmen I've had since uh, I started with Emma a long time ago uh, at Queens. So it was encouraging to see kind of the mix of the older and the younger of our group. And I think it gives us a good foundation to keep building on uh, as we seek to continue to reach uh, what is a dry and apathetic campus in a lot of ways spiritually at Queens University of Charlotte. So I'd appreciate y'all's prayers for us uh, as we go into the fall semester. I've got a leadership team uh, of students, about half of whom are rising sophomores, so you can pray for their continued growth in the Lord and their continued heart uh, to reach their fellow students with the good news of Jesus. Um, and you can also just pray for a continued connection with students at Queens who don't know Jesus yet. A really cool uh, fruit of that that I saw this past year was that we had two agnostic students uh, who were both freshmen who were regularly involved in RUF over the course of the year, who came through different invitations from friends. And over the course of the year, I really saw their resistance level to Jesus start to lower. So pray for them specifically. It's a guy and a girl uh, that they would come to know Jesus in the coming school year, or uh, at least down the line, they would come to know the Lord, but also that we would continue to connect with more students like them as we seek to reach that campus uh, with the good news of the gospel. Well, it's my privilege uh, to continue on the series that Sid started last week, looking at the Ten Commandments. And if you didn't listen to that sermon, um, go back and listen to it. I think it would be good uh, listening to it again, even if you were here. But as Sid opened up that series, uh, he gave us this vision of looking at the Ten Commandments as a gift of God. Looking at the Ten Commandments as a gift of God uh, for our good and for our ultimate freedom in the Lord as we grow in living a life uh, under the direction of the rules of our Heavenly Father. And I thought one of the things that really hit me that was helpful in Sid's sermon was this invitation to process our past with parents uh, and how that can impact how we receive direction from God um, and how we receive uh, his commands from Scripture. So I think that was a great, uh, a great sticking point to continue to meditate on. 
Uh, but the, the biggest thing that I want to piggyback on as we continue in this series is this invitation to see the Ten Commandments uh, as gracious gifts from God. And again, I, I want to give you the invitation as we come to this passage today to think about where you've been in relationship to the Ten Commandments or maybe to moral direction from Scripture more generally. Um, For some of you here today, you might hear the idea of commandments and it just goes over your head thinking, man, boring rules. I mean, how, how relevant can these things actually be to our contemporary lives? Perhaps you've grown up in church context or family context where uh, the rules of Scripture uh, were used to shame you or to guilt trip you, and that's kind of all that you heard about those commands. Uh, maybe you're here today and you think, you know what, I think the Ten Commandments are great, and I think I'm, just, I'm doing just fine in keeping them. Uh, whether you have an ambivalence about the commandments, uh, whether you have uh, places of hurt in relationship to the commandments, whether you feel like you're doing pretty good with the commandments. Uh, I think there's going to be challenge and comfort from God's Word as we come to the first commandment today. So please pray with me uh, as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, the grace that you have spoken to us, that you have not hidden from us, uh, but that you've come uh, so we might know you uh, and might grow in your ways. I pray that you would challenge us this morning where we need to be challenged, that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. And above all, Lord Jesus, that you would give us a clearer sense of who you are. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, as I was thinking about uh, the first commandment today and thinking about Sid's sermon before, uh, for some reason, uh, an episode of the TV show Bluey popped into my head. Do you have any Bluey watchers in here, whether you're Bluey fans or vicariously through your children? Yeah. So I have, I have four kids, and uh, I've, I've probably watched every episode of Bluey multiple times. Uh, the more that we've watched them, probably the less I actually pay attention to them, of course. Although, I've heard through my wife that a new season of Bluey is dropping in the next week. So, uh, parents, if you've been bored with Bluey in the background, you might want to tune in a little bit this week because there's going to be some new material uh, from Bluey. Uh, but the episode that came to my mind uh, was this episode where um, Bluey, and of course, if you haven't seen Bluey before, it's this animated series about seven minutes long. Uh, about this uh, Australian family of dogs. And it's two daughters and mom and dad. uh, And the daughters are Bluey and Bingo. And in one of the episodes, Bluey and Bingo go to the movie theater with their dad. And I think it was Bingo had some anxiety about the movie, that there might be some scary parts in it. Uh, Bluey was really locked into the movie, I think, at one point. um, Bingo kind of runs around the movie theater and causes some chaos. And as the episode ends, uh, Bingo finally finds her footing in this movie experience, navigating, you know, this kind of rite of passage uh, for a child, uh, even for dog children in Australia, apparently, uh, to, to go watch this movie. And as Bingo has kind of found her way, and Dad is accepting her and finding her way in this experience, the actual movie is playing in the background. And the movie uh, is centered around Chunky Chimp, apparently. It's this, this monkey, and there's some uh, story with the monkey that I don't remember. But what I do remember is this song that I, I won't punish you by singing, uh, but I'll read the lyrics. Now it all worked out. Everything's fine all because you learn to be yourself. 
And there's this really catchy earworm that just keeps repeating, be yourself, be yourself. I was singing it this morning, and after five minutes of me singing it, uh, I inflicted it upon my wife, and she started singing it too. So you've got to be careful. If you, ca- if you catch the clip of this online, it will get stuck in your head. Uh, but this idea of being yourself, right? Like there's um, a big emphasis in our culture today on finding yourself, And the idea, like, if you find yourself, then be true to who you are, and that's going to be the path that's going to set you on the course to freedom and flourishing in life. And if we could all live that way and accept each other, we'd have a happy and more free society. But, of course, the, the shadow side of just being yourself is that if we're honest with ourselves, uh, sometimes being ourselves isn't good. Sometimes being ourself leads to places of confusion and if you're trying to chart a course for wisdom and direction in your life, if ultimately it's all about just being yourself, like, how do you know if you're being yourself the right way? If, if we just belong to ourselves or have to listen to the voices of uh, the workplace or our friends or our family or messages from the world around us, how do we really know if we're being ourselves with any sense of meaning? What we find in the first commandment is this gift from God to find who we really are, to find true freedom in wholehearted allegiance to the one true God. To find out who we really are, to find true freedom in wholehearted allegiance to the living God. And this comes as a gift of God to us. And I want to look at this commandment uh, through three illustrations of how this commandment is a gift to us. And yes, you could do this with all of the commandments, so, um, you know, sue me for that. But I, I, I think uh, we're going to use it as our lens for this commandment. And if you want to apply it yourself to the other ones, I think it could be fruitful too. But uh, the first thing we see is that the gift, the commandment uh, is a gift to us as a compass. The commandment is a gift to us as a compass that directs us. And what does it look like to have wholehearted allegiance to God. Now, I was a really bad Boy Scout uh, way back in the day. Do you have any former Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or Trail Life people in here? Yeah, a few of you are like, yeah, I'll still raise my hand to that question. But I was really challenged both uh, with directions and just doing basic things like tying knots. But one of the things that you had to do as a Boy Scout was you had to take out your physical compass and use a map. And at a certain point, you went out in the woods on a camping trip and we had to find our way. And before GPS was used more, we had to find our way using a compass. And this first commandment functions as a compass in our lives to point us in the right direction of freedom and true flourishing. That to find freedom and f- true flourishing, uh, we need to have wholehearted allegiance to the living God. Now, what, what is this commandment not? This goes back again to our framework for thinking about all of the Ten Commandments. This is another inner critic, uh, another way of saying, you know what, um, I, I need to listen to that nagging voice inside of myself that's saying, uh, you're not good enough, you failed here and there. It's not about just being concerned with rules on the outside. Of course, this command literally to not have any gods before the one true God um, you, you might literally think, okay, well, maybe I'm doing okay if I don't have literal physical idols that I'm bowing down to inside of my house. But what this commandment 
does do is it directs us to the one true God and the glorious goodness of who he is. His, his good gloriousness, his good graciousness. That when you take in who the God of Scripture really is, not who other people say he is, but when you take in who he really is on the terms of the Bible, we cannot but be compelled to worship him, to adore him, to want to give him all that we have and all that we are. It's a really cool Holy Spirit moment that Emma had uh, Psalm 145 as the call to worship because I had it at this point in my notes too of a great psalm that directs us to the gloriousness of who God is in his goodness and in his graciousness. Uh, again, the, the first couple verses, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. When you think about God uh, revealing himself to Moses at this point in Exodus and Deuteronomy, um, the, the greatness of God speaking to his people, you know, the, the thunderclouds, the fire, that there's something immense and mysterious about who God is. That when you look at the night, the night stars and you get this tiny window into the vastness of the universe, and you see, if, if you watch, ever watch like a science special on PBS, which uh, I do in my darkest moments on Friday nights when I'm alone by myself, uh, and, and you watch like a Nova special and they take you out millions of light years away and you see the vastness of the universe, that's how vast God is. But then some. We literally uh, cannot fathom and comprehend how great he is. And yet, this God who is so good in his vastness, who if we were to see him right now, we, could, we would literally not be able to do anything but just be in awe of him. The God who is so good in that vastness is also so good in his graciousness toward us. What does he do to the uh, enslaved wayward people of Israel? He makes them his own. He calls them by name. He takes them out of the land of bondage. And he is going to take them into a good land. And, and through them, he's going to bring Jesus the Messiah, who I love the, uh, the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson in the message on John 1, that the word became flesh. And, and his paraphrase is, the word moved into our neighborhood. That Jesus gets down later in Scripture, into the muck and the mire of your life and my life. If, if this God is real, we have good reason to believe he is, then being compelled by him to open our hearts to him, to let him set the direction for our lives, uh, is the best way that we can find freedom and flourishing. If this God is real, how could his ways not be the best ways? Of course, the flip side of this first commandment, right, is how the commandment comes to us. You shall have another gods before me. That The commandment charts this course of saying, hey, there's, of course, for the people of Israel, there was literally a pantheon of different idols that you could worship in the culture around them. That You could go to their temples and see them with your eyes, such as they were, as dead gods. But there's this warning to say in the commandment, the graces of the commandment, you know, there's a way we can get off course in our relationship with God too. And there's this invitation to say these idols are always less than the gloriousness of the true and living God. And that's true even when, as we'll look at in a moment, those idols are things that uh, we are actually depending on and setting our hopes on from our own hearts. 
So the first gift of this commandment is the gift of the commandment as a compass. It's saying, if we want to go in the direction of meaning and purpose in life, we need to be compelled by the gloriousness and the goodness of the one true and living God. And to listen to his warning to say, hey, there, there are ditches on this course. There are places we don't want to go spiritually and giving allegiance to anything else ultimately other than him. The second aspect of this gift that we see is that the commandment is a mirror. The commandment is a mirror. Uh, the book of James in James 1, uh, James has this line uh, where he says in verse 23 of James 1, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The commandment gives us an invitation here as a mirror to be able to look at ourselves in light of this commandment and say, who are we really as people? And to remind ourselves when we forget who we are, to be able to look back at that reflection in the commandment and be reminded, you know what, I've, I've gone astray but this is who I'm called to be. I think there's two ways that the commandment uh, functions as the gift of a mirror to us. Uh, first of all, the commandment reminds us that we are image bearers of God and that we're creatures. As you hear this command, don't have any other gods before me, implicitly it's saying we are not gods. Of course, despite how I tend to function, and you probably tend to function if you're anything like me, so often we chart the course of our lives uh, like we are the... Uh, captains of our own ship, the masters of our own fate. There's a reminder from this commandment that we need to kind of know our place. We need to, we need to check our privilege and, and sit down and remember that we are but creatures, but that we are creatures who have the dignity and honor of being image bearers of the one true God. But also the commandment shows us as a mirror uh, that says that our deepest problems, your deepest problems, and my deepest problems or that we make God substitutes for ourselves to follow. Now, it's, it's easy looking back at the religion of the Canaanites who were in the land that uh, Israel was in and to think, man, how could those people worship these dumb gods, like these statues, you know, these stupid rituals that they have? Idolatry is just so foolish. Isn't it great that we're beyond that? This definition from uh, church reformer Martin Luther in the 16th century, he said, uh, a god is the term for that to which we are to look for all good and in which we are to find refuge in all need. So where do you look for for goodness? Where do you look for for refuge and comfort? To have a god is nothing else than to trust and believe in that thing with all your heart. And so part, the Apostle Paul will say in Colossians 3 that covetousness, like being greedy, for the things that other people have and the other things out there that we don't have is idolatry. That idolatry is the, has the spiritual component of anything that you are giving ultimate allegiance to, ultimate trust in, or seeking ultimate comfort from other than the one true God. Um, late Tim Keller had this great breakdown of Idols of the Heart where he talked about um, us seeking power, approval, comfort and control that you can set your heart on all of those things and if you notice the pattern of those starting to dominate the patterns of 
your desires, your behaviors, your thoughts, those things, those graspings are functioning as an idol in your heart, in my heart. And we can break down really so many of the problems that we have in the world around us as the fruits of those idols, uh, whether it's you know, racism, consumerism, sexual immorality, uh, materialism, injustice, conflict, anger, bitterness. All those things ultimately come down to these heart roots of the things that we set up as substitutes for the one true and living God. So my invitation to you on the basis of this passage would be to say, as you take inventory of your heart and your thoughts, what would the pantheon of your gods look like? Like if, if I think my father-in-law has this in his basement, he's a hunter, he's got this, you know, trophy display of his, uh, the, the big bucks that he's gotten. For those of you who have played sports, maybe all your sports trophies or your, uh, your academic accomplishments or your great performance reviews at work. If you were to put those, think about like the things that you value, but instead to project like, hmm, what, what is the trophy case? What does the pantheon look like of the things that you are looking to for trust, for comfort, for security, for control, for meaning, other than the one true God? What would be that pantheon? What might Jesus be calling you to say, you know what? Let's put this away. Let's name this and let's bring it to me. So the commandment uh, is a compass, the commandment is a mirror, uh, but then finally the commandment is healing medicine. And it's, it's healing medicine because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does for us, for you and for me, in relationship to this commandment. Um, Carmen Ems, a scholar, has this book called Bearing God's Name on um, Mount Sinai and kind of Deuteronomy, but she talks about Jesus' temptation by Satan uh, in Matthew 4. And of course, these different temptations get uh, thrown at Jesus by the devil, right, to find, um, to, to, to receive bread, food from Satan. Jesus has been fasting um, instead of trusting in God's word uh, to just throw himself down, to misuse his power. And then the final temptation is Satan says, hey, if you worship me, here's the shortcut to the kingdom. I'll give you everything if you'll just bow down right now. And worship me. And Jesus quotes back to Satan a paraphrase of Deuteronomy 6.13, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the thing that she writes here is that the Messiah has passed the test that Israel failed. Matthew wants us to see Jesus as the new Israel. He is walking the same paths, reliving Israel's story, but maintaining covenant faithfulness all the way. The beauty that we see with Jesus is that Jesus lived the life of wholehearted allegiance to the Heavenly Father that you and I have not lived. Jesus fully lived out that life of freedom and flourishing that we didn't live. And he did it because he was the faithful, the only faithful human, fully faithful human. But he also did it because he is the lawgiver, the word made flesh, who dwelt among us. And, and what you see in Jesus is the real face of the law. You see the face of the law in the love of God that's revealed in him. And uh, that what you see is that Jesus fulfills this law that should stand to condemn us because of our idolatry, and Jesus instead fulfills it fully for us. And as he does that, and as you keep looking to Jesus and putting away those idols, it sets the stage for you to be able to have a different relationship to the rest of the commandments that are going to follow. That you can grow in delighting in those commandments 
Because you can know that Jesus perfectly fulfilled them for you. And that as you look to Jesus, Jesus can continue to work in you to give you a greater desire to, f- to follow him. And that he will meet you when you fail. Um, we, we see this in several different ways. Thinking about what Jesus does. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the commandment for our adoption. So we could belong to the family of God. And as we looked to finding our belonging ultimately first and foremost in Jesus gives us a basis to put away the idols of belonging, the ways that we can overly depend on family or friends or work or country or political party to define our identity. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the commandment for your justification, uh, that you are viewed before God if your trust is in Jesus as not guilty, as fully righteous in him because of what he's done. And that means that you and I can come to him uh, to find our identity not in uh, the pantheon that is so easy for us to depend on, but we can instead grow in finding our identity in Jesus and in his love. Jesus fulfilled the commandment for our sanctification, right? That um, because of what Jesus has done, we can know that we can have the power to change and to grow in following these commandments. I love this quote from Chuck DeGroat that's in your bulletin. Uh, he says, purity is about being put together again, being made whole so that our inner life matches our outer life. As it turns out, it's not about some exhausting holiness project. It's about letting God do the purifying work through our brokenness, mourning, meekness, hunger and thirst, mercy and more. It's about surrendering our cleanup acts and allowing God to do the deep cleansing. See, the good news about being able to believe that Jesus has fulfilled the law for you and for me, is that it gives us an invitation more and more to be real about, yeah, I am struggling with the idols of my heart. I do frequently not listen to God's compass. I do constantly forget who I am when I look in the mirror. But here's Jesus showing up again in those cracks in our heart, meeting us in those places of weakness and brokenness. And finally, where land is it? We can have hope that Jesus filled the commandment for your glorification. That there's an eternal horizon that's the backdrop of this commandment and of what Jesus came to do. Again, this quote is in your bulletin too. Uh, this ethicist Gilbert uh, Meleander said, In the promised new creation, the tension between the two great commandments will be no more. Because we feel the tension sometimes. What does it look like to love God and love, love others at the same time? We will hear again the ten words, but now clearly as promise. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You shall be a bride eager to meet her bridegroom, a child who loves the Father, a creature who honors the life of every fellow human being, a creature whose Lord is rich enough to meet every need, a lover of God whose first and last word is, Thy will be done. One day this commandment is going to be fully fulfilled in all of us who believe in Jesus. And that as you look at yourself and you see your brokenness and your idolatry and the hurt of that idolatry and the rest of the world around you, this commandment is a word of hope to say that one day this Jesus who fulfilled this commandment is going to make everything new. And that as you experience the tensions of life now, as you experience the ways that you look at God's gifts and you say, eh, I I don't know about those right now. Jesus invites you to keep coming back to him again and again and turning from yourself and turning to him. And that one day the promise is that in him you can truly be yourself. That you will be who you were meant to be because of Jesus' work in you. Will you receive these gifts 
of God's good grace as you look to Jesus today. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for uh, the gifts of these commandments. We pray that you would uh, search our hearts for the ways that we turn from them. Help us to repent of them. Help us to, as we do that, um, take 10 more looks at you and at your grace and your forgiveness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.